you would please take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 29. It is printed there in the bulletin on the top of page 6. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26. And he, that is Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated, and as you do, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for this text, for your word in general. As we confessed earlier, is living and active, it's doing the work that you have ordained it to do. And now, God, in this moment, may your word do its work in our hearts. May I preach with faithfulness and by the power of your spirit, and may your people listen by that same power given by your spirit, that we may become more like Jesus, that we may wait all the more patiently for your coming kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Growing up, my siblings and I always wanted our very own tree to climb. Many of our friends' houses that we would frequently go to had trees that could be climbed. Some of our friends even had the audacity of having a tree house, which only then added to our sense of longing for a tree. But unfortunately for us, the house that we moved into in 1990 when I was four years old only had two trees on the entire roughly quarter of an acre plot. Two very young maples, probably we'd even call them saplings, that the person who had originally built the house had planted early on. You could not climb these trees. You could not swing from them. In reality, there's nothing you could do except use them as bases for maybe tag or the infamous bunting game that my brother and I coined uh, and made up. It was just baseball practice bunting and running. So these trees, uh, they, they got some love though, but not the ideal kind of love for, for health and growth of a tree. Branches were often snapped off or bent altogether. Leaves would get torn or ripped off. And for the majority of the time that I lived at my parents' house, and my parents still live there, these trees offered very little in terms of climbing ability or even shade for that matter. However, they were growing. Their trunks over the years would slowly expand. New shoots would shoot off of the trunk. And the leaves would come. They would turn that beautiful orange and red and yellow in the fall. And then they would fall, and then they'd return again in the spring. All signs of growth. And we never did anything special for these trees. We didn't water them. We didn't treat them with anything special to help them grow. We didn't spray them for pests, though we probably should have, because one of them developed some kind of disease and had to be cut down. And yet, by the time I left my house... Right there in the front of the yard stood a massive maple tree, ready and begging to be climbed. It had those good, strong, lower branches that could really start you on your climb up a tree. And then at the, at the top, it would slowly open up, but there'd still be strong branches where you could get pretty high. I think we actually, maybe in college, we took family pictures in that tree just for fun because we finally had our tree to climb. 
our little young sapling over the course of time became that hoped for, wished for climbing tree. In our text this morning from Mark chapter 4, Jesus describes a similar process of growth, but not in one regarding a physical tree or even a physical plant, but the kingdom, more specifically, his kingdom. Using this parable, Jesus makes it abundantly clear to his disciples then and to his disciples now that growth of the kingdom is not going to come overnight. It will play out very similarly to our family tree, a gradual, slow process, only this time with a very certain outcome. No, growth will not always be evident. It might seem altogether mysterious or even unknowable. It will feel slow at times, maybe even anemic or stalled. But regardless of what we see, regardless of what we observe, the kingdom will reach its end. It will not come up short. It will not be stunted. It will press on until that day that God has designed and declared in his infinite wisdom. So in this parable, we learn that the kingdom will come in its fullness by God's power in God's time. Again, the kingdom will come in its fullness by God's power in God's time. We know that Jesus is teaching here in the form of a parable. And a few verses earlier, Jesus told his disciples the very purpose of parables. They were meant to reveal to those with eyes of faith and to conceal to those whose eyes were merely in the flesh. Parables in and of themselves were not complex. They were intended to be simple, easily understood, or at least easily grasped in terms of the physical picture that they're painting. It's why they're often using farming examples. They're things that everyone in Israel, everyone listening, could relate to. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at two parables Jesus teaches about the kingdom here in Mark chapter 4. We're going to pass over the, the infamous parable of the sower at the first half of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at today the parable of the growing seed and then next week the parable of the mustard seed. And if nothing more, I hope that by looking at these through God's spirit, through his word, we will be encouraged. That we'll find renewed hope in knowing that the kingdom is here, that it is advancing, and that the day is coming when it will be here in full. The outline is printed for you in the bulletin. We're going to look at this parable in three parts. First, we're going to look at the seed planted. Then we'll look at the seed producing. And then finally, we'll look at the seed perfected. Now, of the gospel accounts, Mark is the only one that includes this parable. And there's many speculations as to why, but it seems to fit Mark's overall emphasis in his gospel on discipleship, of following in the footsteps of our Savior. True disciples would not only follow Jesus' teaching, but walk in the very steps that he walked. They would bear suffering with patience and faith. They would proclaim the truth all the while as they endured. And they would hold fast to the certain hope that the kingdom of God is coming with all of its promised blessings. And so we begin then where Jesus does in verse 26 with the seed planted. And it is a point that we can so easily miss as we read this parable. But Jesus proclaims once more in the Gospel of Mark that the kingdom is here. 
Look at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter the seed on the ground. He's saying the seed has been scattered. It's been planted. The kingdom is not merely future-oriented. There is an already, even as we await the not yet of the fullness of it. It has been planted. We need not wait anymore for the kingdom to get here. It is here. And this idea of the kingdom being present would have been a constant point of tension between both the disciples and Israel at large. Because they were expecting the kingdom to come with a bang, a triumphant one of a military leader coming in and storming Rome and finally overthrowing that oppressive government that was over the people of God. But Jesus taught that it wasn't coming with a military procession, it was coming with his arrival. If you have your Bibles open, turn them back just one page to Mark chapter 1, in verse 15. We're at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. The first thing we hear uttered from his lips is this, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, it's now, it's present. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom's arrival began with the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of Jesus. And in this parable, we see that the proclamation is the word, it's the seed. We know this because in this entire context of Mark chapter 4, when the seed is mentioned, it's what Jesus would declare in verse 14, the sower sows the word. While the emphasis of the parable here is a little bit different, the seed remains the same. It is the word of God being sowed, being scattered. And instead of looking like it does in the beginning, in the, the first parable, At the different soils, this one is looking instead at how the seed advances and grows the kingdom of God. How it does the work, oftentimes unseen, unknown, and altogether mysterious. And without getting lost in in terms or definitions about what exactly the kingdom may mean, I like what Herman Bavink, the, the Dutch reformer, writes when he says the kingdom is the messianic kingdom with all of its benefits. And it exists wherever the spiritual benefits of Christ have been granted and is nowhere completed on earth. So he adds that tension of the already. It's here where the benefits of Christ are seen, where they're proclaimed, and it's also not perfected yet. So where are these spiritual benefits granted? We see here in the parable of the sower, it's wherever the seed is scattered. It is wherever the gospel of the kingdom, as Matthew describes, continues to be proclaimed today. Without isolating it here to this place, this worship service serves as a scattering of the seed, as a place where the kingdom is advancing. Consider with me for a moment how from the beginning of this service we have declared that the kingdom is here even as we hold out the hope that it's also still to come. Our call to worship emphasized that God has gathered in the outcast, that he's begin, begun to heal wounds. And then we sang of the nourishment that's found as we sit under the hearing of God's word. Then we profess together the power of God's word, that it's living, that it's active. 
that it does things in the hearts of his people. Then we sang of the comfort and the shelter and the grace that has been already poured out upon us abundantly in Jesus Christ. And then we were assured from God's word that our sins have been forgiven. And that Jesus, our Lord, can be found that he is near. And then just a moment ago, we sang of the greatness of our God, who not only rules all of creation, but also sent his son to die, to take the place that we deserved, so that we might be forgiven. And we even closed out that song, looking toward that glorious day when the kingdom will be here in full. When we will be in the presence of our Savior, worshiping at his feet. So brothers and sisters, these are but a taste of the spiritual blessings of Christ and his kingdom. We're not waiting for something without any hope or guarantee that it's coming. This worship service is a foretaste of its coming. It's a glimpse into that day when it will be fully realized for all of eternity. Which then should encourage us to live in light of the arrival of the kingdom. It is here. Let it encourage us on days when its advance might seem slow or when we may not be able even to see it. And let it motivate us to continue declaring the, wor the word to an enslaved world trapped in darkness, trapped without hope. May the kingdom is at hand ever be on our lips and may it take deeper and deeper root in our hearts. The seed has been scattered. The kingdom is here. And now as the parable continues, we see that the kingdom is producing. Despite our inability to understand or to always observe, the kingdom is at work. It's growing. It's increasing. And what a great encouragement this is meant to be for us. I'm up here, I'll be up here and be honest with you this morning that I don't always see or feel like the kingdom is advancing. It's hard to just look out and, and to, to see what's going on in our culture, in our world, and to think, yes, the kingdom is advancing, it will get here. We read about the ongoing downward trajectory when it comes to Christianity in this country. We read about Christians or formal Christians deconstructing, it's, it's the term that they use now, their faith for a variety of reasons, whether it's church scandal or abuse or the hard teachings of scripture or just a rejection of the faith altogether. And then you read stories of our brothers and sisters in foreign lands where they can't gather like this in public, but they're in private, in secret. They can't even tell their family members that they're Christians. And then we witness evil seem to win the day when it comes to important matters like life, sexuality, justice, human dignity, and on and on. It can be easy for us to grow discouraged, to wonder, is the kingdom here, let alone is it ever going to arrive in fullness? It can be easy to despair. But Jesus' teaching gives us both a dose of reality but also a dose of encouragement when it tells us the seed is producing. The first is the dose of reality, and it is that Jesus is emphasizing there is a gradual production over time. Look at verses 27 and 28. 
It says he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. And then at the end of verse 28, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now some want to take this verse as a sign of the farmer's laziness. How bad of a farmer is he just kind of throws the seed and then goes to bed? He has no clue how to farm. The seed actually grows in spite of him. He, we don't see him tilling. We don't see him pruning. We don't see him driving out the pests. This guy has no idea what he's doing. And there's no reason why we, he should expect this seed to grow. But I find that, that that's reading a little bit too much into this, even reading something that's not there. The picture here is not of a lazy farmer, but a hopeful farmer. He knows that he's just a farmer. He can scatter the seed, he can do the work, but then he just has to let it go. There's a power that needs to be at work that he simply does not have, and we'll get to that power in a moment. And what a reminder that is for us. It's an implicit but subtle rebuke for our human tendency to think that the growth and the advance of the kingdom or even the effectiveness of the word depends on us. That we need to have that perfect argument. That we need to be perfectly knowledgeable. But the truth is, it's actually freeing when we grasp that it's not dependent upon us. That we don't need gimmicks. That we don't need the latest fad. And we don't need to exhaust ourselves. We can sow the seed and go to bed. We can get rest, even in the midst of doing the work that we've been called to do. We need only to be faithful in our calling, to proclaim the gospel, and then to let the word do its work according to its time. And time is what actually is the emphasis here. That phrase, sleeps and rises night and day, it's not reflecting laziness, but just the rhythms of life. You go to bed, you wake up. You go to work, you come home. We could easily say, and on and on the days go and the seed sprouts and grows. Jesus is emphasizing that the kingdom's growth is like growth in a garden. It's gradual, it's often unseen. Rarely does a farmer catch the seed sprouting, even shooting up from the ground. Rarely does he see it shoot off from the stalk, unless he's a farmer with nothing better to do than to sit there and stare at his plants all day. Maybe he's a retired farmer. It comes after much time has gone by and many other things have been done, like sleeping and eating. I think I mentioned before how Bethany and I in our past, we, we've had gardens, particularly when we were living in Pennsylvania. And some were raving successes and others were pretty much epic failures. And while we were not the best gardeners, I know there's a lot of folks here that we could learn from. We could sit down and take notes about how to have a good garden. We did our best to water, to weed, to prune. And honestly, I think that our gardens did better when we did less. Our first year, the year we had no clue what we were doing, actually ended up being our best garden. It's kind of the standard by which we measure every other garden we've done since. And we, we've yet to start one here, I think, because of, fail, of fear of epic failure. 
But still, as we had a garden, we didn't spend our days just sitting outside our garden staring at it, just waiting for that plant to grow. We didn't try to dig up the seeds and say, hey, look, does that seed have a sprout off it? No, we just let the seed sit in the soil. We didn't get out our ruler and start measuring the plants to measure its growth. We went to work. We slept. We ate. We enjoyed time together, time with friends. We let time and the seed do its thing. We trusted that God knows what he's doing when it comes to physical seeds. He's given the seed everything it needs to become a plant. And so in this subtle dose of reality, we see that, that God is emphasizing that his timing is perfect, even if that timing seems slow. The seed is working, the rhythms of life, they may be beyond our control, but they're being used by God to bring about the growth that he has ordained to take place. And this then leads to the encouragement. The seed is producing by its own power. While the farmer waits, while he sleeps, while he eats, the seed acts. Look again at verse, the end of verse 27, the beginning of verse 28, where he says, He knows not how, how it grows. The earth produces by itself. And the emphasis in this verse is that phrase, by itself. It actually starts the sentence in Greek, which is not a common thing that happens. And that word, by itself is translated automate. Now, usually I don't like to uh, show off my Greek in the pulpit, but I feel confident I can pronounce this one. And in pronouncing, I think I even heard somebody whisper it, your mind went to a word that we have in English, automatic. We actually get our word automatic from this word by itself. And we as 21st century human beings love when things are automatic. We want our coffee to run on We want our coffee to produce automatically. That's why we have programmable coffee makers. Apparently, we want our cars now to park automatically. I'm still nervous about that one. We want our music to automatically turn on when we say things like, Siri, turn on my music, or if you have Alexa, I think she's the the Google one, or whatever. We want things to be automatic. We want them to be easy. We want to intervene as little as possible if we can so help it. And it is why most consumer products these days have the optional feature of something about it being automatic. But Jesus here teaches that the seed itself is truly automatic. It grows without the need of human intervention or assistance. It has everything it needs on its own. And it will get to its intended end, which is the harvest. It doesn't ask for our aid. It's not sitting there waiting for our help. The truth is we are utterly powerless at bringing forth the growth that we so desperately pray and long to see. And the truth is it's not our job or our calling to bring about that growth. We're servants of the kingdom. We don't bring the kingdom. For just as the farmer doesn't really know how that seed is growing, neither do we know how God is growing and advancing his kingdom, except through the sowing of his word. We heard as much earlier from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we know Jesus would say the same about the mystery of the Spirit's work in bringing about new birth when he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
So as followers of Jesus Christ, we trust in the power of God at work in the seed, the proclamation of his word, whether we see it or not. We trust what he says and has said in places like Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, the part right after our assurance of pardon, where the prophet says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word shall be that goes out of my mouth, It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. God's word has the power to advance his kingdom. And so if this seed then is so powerful, what are we to do? We're to sow it. Sow it. Sow it some more. And do so with the full confidence that there is great power at work. Not in how far we can throw it, but simply in the fact of us proclaiming it. So sow the seed faithfully in your homes, to your spouse, to your children, to your roommate, whoever you live with. And if you're not regularly proclaiming sowing the seed there, start today. Faithfully diligently knowing that there's power at work when the seed is sowed and then sow it in your workplaces at school in your social groups as you go about everywhere and anywhere proclaim the word faithfully and trust in its power not your power but its power to do the work yes be an example of Christ but also proclaim him That whole mantra of preach the gospel and when necessary use words, it sounds nice and it looks nice on a mug, but it's not actually what Jesus teaches. We're called to proclaim him, to declare the good news. Let others know about the freedom that there is to be found from sin and death and that they're only to be found in Jesus Christ, not in good works, not in other religions, not in trying to be the best you can be, but in Jesus Christ and him alone. And then go to bed and go to sleep, trusting that God by his spirit is going to use that word that you've sowed to bring about his purposes, to advance his kingdom. There's power in such proclamation. That's why we come Sunday in and Sunday out to hear his word proclaimed, to proclaim it in song. This is how his kingdom advances and produces, not by our efforts, not by our ingenuity, but simply by our faithfulness to sow the powerful seed that we've been given. The seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then simply letting the results be in the hands of our God. And lastly then, we get to the end of the parable where Jesus, after saying that the seed has been planted, the seed is producing, he says that the seed will be perfected. Our waiting and our sowing will not be in vain. As God works through the faithful proclamation of his word, the kingdom is going to get here in full. In his book, The Coming of the Kingdom, another Herman, but not Bobbin, scholar Ritterboss writes, the preaching of the gospel is itself the guarantee of the ultimate coming of the kingdom. 
It brings the latter irresistibly near. As we preach, we are guaranteeing all the more that the kingdom will get here. It's the additional benefit of us sowing the seed. Because that seed always has one goal in mind, the harvest. It's the very reason why it's been planted in the first place. It's always looking forward to that day when there will be a reaping. It won't seek to accomplish some other purpose. It's never going to lose its end or sight of its end. It will grow and it will grow by its own power until the day it reaches full maturity. Look at verse 29 where Jesus says, But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Just as a physical seed will one day ripen, hopefully humanly speaking, so the kingdom, the seed of the kingdom sown by the proclamation of Jesus Christ will absolutely ripen. It will mature. It will reach fullness. It will succeed. Now this language of the sickle and the harvest is certainly agricultural, but it's not only agricultural. It's also eschatological. We find it first. It's looking forward to the end. We find it first in the Old Testament from the prophet Joel. Where in the promise of judgment against the nation, the Lord himself says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And then we see it again, depicted at the end in Revelation 14. Where we see the image of one seated on a cloud like the Son of Man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And he's told, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. This is the great day, the great harvest that both Jesus and all of Scripture have in mind. It is the day on the one hand where full and final judgment will be administered by God against all sin and wickedness. And that is an encouraging day for us. But it's also a day when the kingdom will be here in full. The not yet will be no more. It will be consummated for all of eternity. It is the day when Jesus Christ, our conquering king, will collect his harvest of a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes, and people and languages to worship him and to give him glory for all eternity. This is the harvest, that day that the seed is so powerfully and faithfully working towards. And that day will come without a doubt according to God's perfect an all-wise plan. In our garden history, my wife and I would often look at and inspect our garden with, with great trepidation and concern. We'd look and we'd say, some of those leaves look eaten. Are those bugs? Or the stalks are looking a little bit more brown than green. Or is that a hole over there by the peppers? Or is that a bite out of the peppers? Or the tomato plant has grown out of its cage. Hopefully you're seeing my lack of a green thumb. I'm not really sure how else to communicate it. But all of these observations would often leave us feeling more pessimistic about our harvest. Instead of containers full of tomatoes, we would hope that maybe we'd get a handful. Or instead of our bellies being full, we'd start to think that maybe the rabbits would be the ones with the full bellies. And again, as we look this today at the physical and the spiritual landscape before us, 
we can be tempted to share similar feelings of pessimism. We can doubt the reality that there will be a mature harvest of the kingdom. People are leaving church. Churches are closing. The influence and the acceptance of Christian principles are becoming a thing of the past. It can feel like growth has stalled. It can be tempting to think that, you know what, maybe there's something wrong with the seed. But Jesus' parable tells us we need not fear. We need not worry. His kingdom will succeed. It has the power to do so. It has the guarantee to do so. The very word that we're called to proclaim is the guarantee, is the power. There will be a harvest because the power lies in God, not in us. In our triune God, whose word is living and active and ever producing the work that he has called it to produce. So then again, what are we to do? Aside from proclaiming faithfully and sowing the seed, I believe we should look to Jesus' brother in his letter to another group of dispersed, scattered, and discouraged Christians. Roger, I apologize, I'm about to steal your thunder from the Sunday school calendar. But if you flip ahead to James chapter 5, actually I'm going to encourage you to do that. Go to James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, and look at verses 7 through 8. Where I think in addition to us being told to faithfully sow the seed, the reality of the harvest coming, the guarantee that it will be here, we hear James give us another word of application. Where James, the brother of Jesus, says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience is a lesson that we often daily need to learn. It's a lesson that's being taught daily in my own home. But as much as it's being taught to my children, it's being taught to me. We don't like to wait. The more we wait, the more we doubt. The more we wait and the more we don't see growth, the more discouragement settles in. But we must wait. But we also must wait knowing that the harvest is coming. The seed is ripening. It may not look how we want it to look. It may not look how we think it should look. But it's moving forward. It's growing. It's advancing. And it is coming. So be patient, brothers and sisters, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The seed will be perfected. My siblings and I and my family at large growing up were never optimistic about our young maple saplings. We either thought it would never grow large enough or it wouldn't survive our rough love on it. It seemed too small. Its progress, progress was barely noticeable, if noticeable at all. And so we still ended up growing up doing most of our climbing at friends' houses or at the park. We had no confidence that a day of climbing would ever come until the day that it actually did. 
But the same should not be said and cannot be said when it comes to our confidence about the advancing and consummation of the kingdom of God. We should be confident. The kingdom is growing. It is advancing. There's power at work. It will get here. I can declare that to you with absolute confidence and certainty. Not because of any power in me. Not because of any power in you. But because of what Jesus teaches here in this parable in Mark chapter 4. It might take a while. It's been 2,000 years. It could be 2,000 more. We have no idea. And it may look at times like it is extremely far off. But it will come. The seed has been planted. And at this very moment, whether we see it or not, the seed is producing. And that day will come when it will be perfected. So may we be faithful, faithful individually, collectively, to continue sowing that seed. Knowing that there's great power contained in it. And then may we wait with patience knowing that the harvest is on its way. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom will come in its fullness by God's power in God's time. Let us pray. Father God, we give you great thanks. You have given us your word, and your word here declares to us that it is powerful, that it is the means by which you are bringing your kingdom more and more realized here. And it's also the guarantee that we have that your kingdom will one day come. And so, God, we pray with the saints, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Bring your kingdom. Put an end to the sorrow, the sin, the suffering that we face, that we see. But, God, I pray that you would give us the renewed confidence and boldness to proclaim your word, to sow the seed. And then to wait patiently for the growth that you have ordained and that you have called it to bring. Give us encouragement. Give us strength where we are weak. Give us faithfulness as individual disciples, as, in, in, as the church that you have placed here in Little Rock, Arkansas. And may your kingdom come, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.